Hello everyone, welcome to another Ismono podcast and today I have the honor to have with me JB from JB Outside and yeah, maybe you want to introduce yourself to everyone who might not have had the pleasure to watch one of your videos yet. So who are you, what are you doing and what's your YouTube channel all about? All right, I'm JB. JB Outside is my YouTube channel and I review gear to get you outside, which appears pretty broad, but it really is centered <laughs> around mostly backpacks, slings. I've done some wearable reviews, but mostly ends up being the thing on your back that whatever you're carrying your stuff, uh, wherever you're going, mostly outdoors focus, some travel, um, and you know, a lot of these backpacks bridge the gap between those two. So I've reviewed a, a lot of backpacks over the last year and a half. The channel's grown a lot and it's been a lot of fun. It sort of tapped into my creative side to kind of show what, you know, is sort of near and dear to my heart. Um, a lot of these backpacks that I'd used a lot in the past and then since, you know, I started this collected. So it's been fun. And uh, I do a lot of uh, things on Instagram as well, JB Outside. Uh, and, you know, but the long form stuff, YouTube, I'm just trying to give people an idea of what some of these backpacks look like before they spend the money because they are expensive, some yeah, of them. And I exactly. think that, uh, you know, a lot of them have great return policies, but at the same time, you know, wouldn't it be nice to go and look to see what the the finer features are of some of these backpacks um, that a lot of times the manufacturers don't even show you where the packet yeah. pockets are, how they work, or what they intend to use them for. So some of them are good, some of them are not so good. So that's kind of my goal is to get some of those bags that I would use, trick them out, see what they look like, what they look like, and then show them to other people. And the cool thing about it is uh, JB doesn't shy away to throw and stress test a Gorok bag <laughs> into the dirt. Although you you were kind of teasing on pulling that Gorok bag behind your truck, but I can <laughs> I do know that that would be a little bit rough on the back, but it was a really cool video. So everyone should check out that Gorok video where you kind of, I, I don't want to say abused, but you definitely, that bag took a little bit of a beating. <laughs> but it yeah, was a it definitely dope was, video. It was fun to do. And, um, <clears throat> You know, the, uh, <laughs> it kind of came from an idea of like a lot of people always ask me, like, what's the durability of this? You know, mm -hmm. the materials vary and how long they'll last, you know, in your possession varies. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, you spend a lot of money on a backpack and you're like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to throw this around. And, and the worst case scenario is, you know, you put it on the wall and you don't take it anywhere. Yeah. Um, it's meant to yeah. be outside, carry your stuff and then endure the elements um, and be abused, thrown in an overhead bin, um, you know, in the back of your truck, all these things. So that waxed canvas and leather combo that the heritage is for uh, Goruk is it doesn't uh, I honestly I have not taken it on trips before because I just like I don't want to ruin it. I'm like, well, you know what? It's time to get a bag True. and try to ruin it. Um, leave it out in the rain for a long time and to see how it actually performs, which I did yeah. uh, just put it on my back porch and then put a time-lapse camera on it. And then, uh, yeah, then throwing it around, kicking around the camp, the parking lot basically. And that was uh, fun <laughs> to film, but you know, and it really, the results were, you know, pretty surprising. It held up really well. The leather mm -hmm. is durable. Um, the wax canvas, although, you know, some people complain it might not be as thick as other wax canvases and the heritage for Goruk, but it held up really nice. And in fact, it, 
it developed that patina you talk about you know it yeah. looks better it looks I think, better right from me yeah. kicking it around so not that i had advise Agreed. anyone to take their expensive <laughs> go ruck bags or any bags and put them kick them out the parking lot but you know hey it works yeah it definitely looks better i mean wax canvas and leather is supposed to have patina so i feel like you made it miles it was great looking before and now it looks even better in my humble opinion yeah. i think i'll do it with all my so, bags yeah <laughs> So what we both prepared, like in all of these podcasts, both of us have prepared three questions or three topics of which we will talk. Let me just get my phone with the timer. And I yeah, noticed that you so, don't actually follow the timer religiously. Yeah, we don't. It's okay. <laughs> I try to. <laughs> I try to. But uh, sometimes we get so deep into the conversation that, yeah, we sometimes do it a little bit more. Sometimes... People have really good answers and they kill the answer right away within one minute. And then then there is not much to talk about. But let me start <laughs> with my first question to you, which goes a little bit into the Garak, um area, let's say that way, uh, because I can see on your channel that you like Gorok and let's say this specific style of bags a lot, especially now looking at the back wall. Um, so let's imagine you had to wear a suit and you had to go to a business, uh, important business meeting. Let's say you have to get go to a bank for a credit for your new business or for a house or something. Um, what kind of bag would you choose? Or would you still choose a Gorok and kind of, I don't know, pimp it up to make it suit your attire that you go to this business meeting to? So <clears throat> is your question, do I have to use a Gorok bag or just any backpack? Any backpack. Would I mean, just if you have a good argument for using a Gorok bag in combination with a suit, then that's totally fine. Or would you choose a totally different bag because you agree with, I would say, the majority of people who would say, I would never wear a backpack to a suit because I feel like the mainstream would never wear a backpack with a suit. I would, but yeah. Yeah, no, I think... What's your um, opinion? Well, first of all... Um couple of thoughts on this. First of all, like, so when, when I go to work and I'm, and I'm an, as an airline pilot and I'm in my suit uniform, um, I don't carry anything on my shoulders, which is, is this, you know, sort of the way it works when you're um, a professional in at least that field. Mm -hmm. And from my military days, when you were in your dress uniform, you never carried something on your shoulders, like a backpack. It was, you carried it in your hand. So that's just, mm -hmm. uh, mentally, that's where I go when you ask me that question. However, if I had a lot of things to carry and I was going from point A to point B and I just happened to be wearing a suit, um, I really, you know, I think it would have to be black first of all, unless, mm -hmm. you know, you were, um, you know, whatever color suit you were, but you know, black just seems to go with everything and it sort of just mm -hmm. disappears into the background. Uh, from the Gorok side, I mean, anything with not a lot of webbing, not a lot of military look to it. So like their heritage in black with that mm -hmm. little black leather, I think would looks perfect in any environment and um, would probably be my go-to choice on the Gorok side. 
you know, they have that Carryology GRXC1, the Dyneema build, which you could also use, I think, because it's got doesn't have any webbing on the outside. It's pretty mm. uh, straight black. Um, I do love that bag, by the way. Anything else? I mean, I, um, you know, I love the Evergoods all black. The, their ballistic nylon seems to be, you know, that ballistic fabric material is mostly a travel um, look to it. But again, anything in black is going to be just fine. You know, I, I know a lot of people complain about some of the materials, like a thousand D tearing up. They don't want to mm. damage an expensive suit, and I can totally understand that. Um, yeah, it could, and that's probably what I would do as well. I probably wouldn't probably wouldn't carry that style of bag if I was in a suit dressed up for an important mm-hmm. business meeting. So so you are in the camp of wearing a backpack as long as it's black, I would say, or like a little bit toned down is fitting for a suit. So if imagine, I don't know, someone of your friends is coming to you and says like, oh, my back is... I'm not really sure if I should continue like carrying a suitcase or a messenger bag with my office attire. I would really want to go with a backpack, but I don't know if that's if I could really do that. How would you convince that person to yeah, let's say it would be okay to wear a backpack and then you would and then that person would be like, "Okay, what which backpack should I get?" What would be your answer to that? Well, first of all, um so in the office environment that I typically go to as well, I'll just be straight up and honest. I don't carry a backpack. Um, mm. I have a track Baron, the messenger bag that, but which is waxed mm. canvas. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. the uh, one with the Cobra buckles, which just, yeah. I don't know. This looks cool to me. I love Cobra buckles yeah. uh, that I just, that's what Same. I carry mostly not because I don't think the backpack fits my style, but when I get to where I'm going, I like to just, open and go and have access to all my things in a sort of mm-hmm. a, in an open environment versus having to fight through pockets and take out tech pouches I or anything see. like that. So mm. the track bear and the messenger style is like, because I don't have to take a lot of stuff with me to the office. Um, mm-hmm. I just, it allows me to open the flap and just see everything and use it. So it's more mm-hmm. about um, when I'm there, how I use the bag as well. Interesting. Um, Interesting. Like the, okay. the alpha 1.9 or Whitley was sort of the same style of, it was very nice and classic black, not a lot of tacticalness mm. to it. And when you got to where you were going, you put it in your seat, you open the flap and you have access to all your things. So the organization was fantastic. Yeah. But for me, again, um, that wax canvas track Baron is uh, one of my favorites for just minimal EDC yeah. go to work, um, for the style. And then I don't have to worry about a backpack setup, but I do carry a backpack, um, occasionally, mm. but I, I would have a hard time arguing the case that, um, to go backpack only versus just considering a well-built <laughs> messenger bag. Okay. Interesting. I never thought of it that way that a messenger would be much more convenient once you get to your desk at your office, at your workplace. I was always only considering, oh, that's a one-sided load on my shoulder. And therefore, I'm not sure if that is really good for my health. So Mm -hmm. getting older, I was always thinking about, okay, I probably would recommend rather to wear a backpack, especially for me, I never have to wear a suit. But if I had to wear a suit, I would be a little bit torn. I wouldn't, I wouldn't really, 
it's it's somewhat kind of a peer pressure in a way because you get to an <laughs> office like everyone is wearing a suit at least that's what's in my head i've never had yeah. to wear a suit in an office so i i don't know what it would be like but i know what it's like to go to a bank and apply for for um a credit for your house so i know this kind of okay i have to wear something nice uh wearing a dress shirt and stuff like that and like appear professional and serious <laughs> when i was first going to the bank uh, the first time in my life to apply for this uh, money i was really looking at my collection of bags all backpacks all somewhat kind of styled in a outdoorsy, um, cool kind of way, but nothing that would be considered something office attire worthy. <laughs> so yeah. I was always kind of like asking myself, what would be the best thing to yeah. carry around? Well, you need to get a, a track bear and go check out one of those. Yeah. That's a great bag. But overall, the company but, is incredible. Oh yeah, they're doing great stuff. In fact, they were released yeah. today. But the um, two thoughts that I thought about because I've heard you say the cross. Well, first of all, when I carry the messenger bag, if I'm like out of my vehicle and going for a while, I typically crossbody mm. that thing so it doesn't. Yeah. The the balance is there, and it's usually right in the middle of my back, so I don't feel like I'm mm. pulling left or right. And um, as I get That's older, true. and because I've kind of figured out I'm a little older than you. I think it's honestly, if you carry it on one side, as long as you alternate to the other side, you're actually working yeah. your abdomen and getting some muscular workout, just, you know, switching shoulders. So that's, I think that's my that's answer a, for, for uh, you, that's how a good you argument, age actually. and how carrying a shoulder yeah. bag. Yeah, that's a very good argument. I'm just like, I, I'm really um, considering my back because I've seen so many my in-laws, for instance, my, my, um, not sure what the word, the right terminology is, the father of my wife. So I don't know, the, my stepdad, no, what's it called? Father-in-law. Yeah. He's really in good shape. However, he's getting to an age where his back is kind of giving him a little bit trouble. And I can see that his movements are getting let's say age appropriate. And that's why yeah. I'm like, okay, I need to take care of my back. <laughs> Is a messenger really yeah. the right way to go? But that's just in my head. But now that you say it, that it's the, the weight is kind of diagonally distributed on your spine and you alternate. That's actually a very good argument and there you go. a pro for a messenger. Perfect. Learned something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. That was, okay, 59 seconds left. So I think we, we are pretty good then. Good. <laughs> so what's your first question? All right. My first question in, uh, you know, in this journey of backpacks and uh, bag mm -hmm. designers, I'm always looking for new ideas and what's going on and several yeah. companies that I look, look at, um, they just don't innovate very often. Mm. And uh, so my question for you is, what are the most innovative backpack companies you've seen over the last, I don't know, year or two? Very good question. I mean, 
honestly, my go-to answer usually is Black Amber, in a way, because, I don't know, the first time I saw the Black Amber, uh, it was called the V4, there was this, I don't think that many people actually remember that bag, because I, it felt like not many people really bought that, in a way. Uh, I think the Citadel was the first bag that really put them on the map but the v4 was this basically it was a cube that had a lot of fit locks inside where you had a bunch of different um cubes compartments that you could just stick onto those fit lock buckles inside and then they were in, attached and you were able to quickly um exchange the, the loadout just by taking out these compartments. And I found that to be very innovative and also well made. And then they, they made the Citadel, um, the Citadel modular, the TKS, which was very innovative in my eyes. And I really liked what they did there. It just wasn't for me. The same was with the Shadow because this accordion compartment was or is innovative but not practical for my personal use case um so i really like what black amber is doing um what would be a, another company that is innovative hmm. oh i haven't reviewed that many back from them but it's uh, orbit gear um, I don't want to say I'm by it. May, it might appear that I'm biased because my parents are both Indonesian and Orbit Gear is from Indonesia, but it's not because of that. But just I don't know. They have this futuristic, dystopian kind of <laughs> vibe to everything that they make, and it kind of looks very for the lack of a better word, cyberpunk <laughs> inspired, you know, all of yeah. this moly and all of the pouches that you can attach to it with, yeah, let's call it what it is. Maybe a little bit too much unnecessary straps that are dangling <laughs> around, but they are, to me, they are supposed to look like that. It's kind yeah. of their visual vibe and design. Um, so, kind of like that a lot um i can see that that is not very practical code of bell would be also a company that that goes yeah. in the same design language that i find very interesting mm -hmm. however and i mean this i really like what they're doing i like all of their um sling bags and pouches but just like um with the with the accordion compartment on the black amber it's just not for me because there is so much dangling around and uh just like you i'm a motorcycle rider and i really hate when there is like a strap yeah. dangling in the wind yeah. or those short, uh, load lifters the strap ends that kind of yeah. flap against your helmet it really annoys me um so i applaud what Code of Bell and Orbit Gear is, are doing and the design language that they have is really, yeah, it's, it's different to what we usually see, but 
I understand that it's not for everyone. Um, I like the their approach to shoulder bags and sling bags with this. I don't know. Have you ever uh, tested a coat of bell before? Yeah, I've got a, a cross pod X pod. Um, mm -hmm. That is my kind of my go-to sling when I travel, just because of ex expandability and the yeah. nice features inside, and it's black as with anything. Yeah. So that, and I, I have ordered. They had a, they had another pre-order for another Codabel bag that I think comes out in the next month. Yeah. Um, so I, I pre-ordered that, that. I can't remember what the name of it is. I, sometimes yeah. I get so far advanced uh, ahead of myself with these pre-orders, <laughs> I just can't remember. Like you mentioned, um, Black Ember, and they came out with they have a a duffel backpack, yeah. the Dex, um, that I ordered that I sh should probably get within the next couple of weeks. I'm really excited because it's as you said, they're just so innovative in that. When mm -hmm. I saw that Dex, I was like, that is just really weird. Um, has a lot of features that I hadn't considered before and it's a weird place. Um, and it, so if I think it's weird and I want to take a look at it, I figured somebody else does as well. So I'm definitely, mm -hmm. I'll check, I'm going to check that one out. Yeah. The Dex looks very interesting. But going back to this kind of expandability, I think that expandability on the Code of Bell is amazing. However, I felt it not very practical in, in everyday use because once you expand the, the roll top on these sling bags, I feel like the, the weight distribution is kind of off. So it, instead of like, laying on your uh, chest or on your back properly because it expands away from your body in a way it the weight distribution is yeah as i said it's kind of off and then it it spins on itself almost i'm <laughs> not sure if i can describe it properly but i always try to keep that uh, expandability on those code of bell sling bags always closed um, mm -hmm. but it's good to have, and it is definitely an innovative and I like what they're doing a lot. I like the color scheme and, um, yeah, it's, it's a great, great, um, design and great item. Just, I'm just to give a different example, which I don't want to may. Uh, I don't want to sound negative or because I love air air is for me, it's an incredible company that makes very good bags that suits almost everyone. It's personally, it's one of my go-to recommendations. If anyone is like questioning, Hey, which bag should I get for work? And I have no idea and I don't want to spend a lot of money for a Gorok, for instance, although I like it. For me, Air is a very good, solid recommendation for, in quotation marks, mainstream people. Um, and I mean this in a very positive way. That being said, I just objectively speaking, I think Air is a little bit boring. But I mean this in a very positive way because they are solid bags. They are, you, Apple is, for instance, is a good example for they have become boring. You do know what you're getting. They don't change their design much. The iPhone 13 to iPhone 14, there's no really good 
or major changes. So if you're on a 13, you don't need to buy the 14, in my humble opinion. And in that sense, you know what you're getting. It's a very solid recommendation, but it is kind of stale or a little bit boring. And to me, error is a little bit similar, not not totally boring. I still think they make cool stuff. The City Pack Pro is an amazing bag. But if you are talking about being like very exciting or something that is totally out of the norm, objectively speaking, I think I would say Air is the kind of like the Apple of the yeah. back world, which is in in some way a compliment, I would say. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, Air is one of those companies that, um, and a lot of times when I decide of, on a bag that I'm going to take a look at, um, if it's exciting, I'll get it. If it's not exciting, and none of the Air stuff really compels me to pick it up because of its you would mm-hmm. say stale, but just hasn't changed much in the last couple of years. And so entering where I am, I, it doesn't make sense for me to do a, a review of a bag that everyone's seen. It really hasn't changed. Exactly. No one, no one's mm-hmm. going to watch that video because they've seen it all. Um, and I just yeah. never have, I just don't, I don't have any, and I don't plan to pick up any just because, mm-hmm. uh, the styling for me just doesn't, doesn't speak to me. Yeah. Totally understandable. Yeah. All right. So I hope I answered your question. Um, yeah, my I mean, question you could, go, to new, you could talk yeah. for days on, on innovation and different brands. I mean, you can make a whole <laughs> podcast on just that. That's true. That's true. Um, so my question to you now is, um, hold on. if you could do the ultimate stress test on a bag, which bag would you like to stress test? And what kind of tests would you do? Hmm. I can only pick one bag. <laughs> you can pick multiple. Even just think of. You don't have to pay for it. You get the bag for free, and you can do whatever you want to it. Which bag? Which I don't know. Three bags, one bag, however, however many you want. Would you choose? And what kind of fun stress tests would you like to do? So let's start with the bags that I would pick. So first of all, I would think I would pick like the flagship bag from three manufacturers. Okay. You know, just a GR1 1000D build, the garden variety go ruck bag that everyone thinks about um, and knows. I would pick that as one of them. doesn't matter the color because it's just going to (laughs) get Um, You know, then I would, I think, you know, Evergood's, you know, just one of their CPLs mm-hmm. or CHC, one of those two bags, uh, and their, you know, proprietary fabrics that are now uh, solution dyed that they you know, rave about, which I, I do like. I would pick one mm-hmm. from them. And then the other one, I mean, there's just a handful of bag companies that, I mean, I think uh, Triplot Design is another one of my favorites. I would probably pick mm-hmm. their either EDC or Light Speeds. Uh, and, you know, probably their most commonly available fabric build. So, those three bags would be, I think, comparing them uh, in a stress test would be would be good. Have, now, I've already yeah. done a couple. I think, you know, people care about the weather resistance features. Is it going to, you know, survive a downpour? So, you, you know, you leave them outside. You put stuff, uh, you know, you can I, – I just put cardboard in mine to see if it was going to get wet and towels when I did the Heritage one. But 
you know, you could put some more complicated things inside uh, just to see if the water gets in there and how much. Um, that would be to one. To make it in then, you interesting. Know, think, what's that? To make it in to make it interesting, you can travel to any place in the world as well to stress test them. So if you think maybe, for instance, going to Antarctica or something. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that just opens the possibilities. I would go to the Amazon <laughs> jungle and get to totally soaked and I'd take it the Arctic. Um, yeah, and then just, um, you know, I think I would really put them on the back of a truck and I would tow them all. And then uh, <laughs> and just to see how far you went before each of them wore out. Um, and which is a totally unrealistic test, right? But it's fun. Um, it's really see, fun. Yeah, it's it's really fun. And, and you know, they're all going to wear out, right? It's, you know, whether it's 10 miles or 100 miles, they're all going to wear through because they're just not designed to do that. Um, but besides that, I mean, you know, I've seen um, somebody did a video from the Peter McKinnon camera bag. They put like old cameras, uh, still functioning, but older models of mm -hmm. cameras in there and then like threw it out of a car. Um, I don't know if you oh, ever watch that YouTube video. I can find it, send it to you later. Yeah. But, you know, so yeah. I thought that was a great test because they wanted to see, is this camera bag really going to protect everything inside? And so they drove yeah. around and then they threw it out the car <laughs> window and it uh, surprisingly protected just about everything inside. So, um, you know, I'd probably do some of that because you want to you want to know if it's going to protect your gear inside. Uh, and mm -hmm. some of those bags with multiple layers and the pocket configuration would react differently. Um, and, and honestly, another complete test is just get a bunch of laptops, put them in everybody's bag and just literally drop it to see if yeah. these, these pockets really do protect them. That would be very interesting. Uh, do you, I mean, you could literally you think do you a, would... yeah, you could do a total like just destructor series of videos that would probably uh, gain a lot of attention. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That would be so interesting to have so many cool tests i i've never heard of that camera test that sounds really cool but um what inspired me to ask you this question because i've i thought this pulling the bag behind the truck would be an amazing amazing um test and do you think i'm not i i actually uh didn't I didn't have any physics class because I, I went to chemistry, um, <laughs> but I don't know. It, do you think pulling a bag behind a plane, just just flying with it? Obviously, I'm not sure if that would actually be a stress test. If there is, I don't know. I mean, obviously, if you pull it on the streets, then it has this friction on the gravel, mm -hmm. but. How about wind? I, I know wind doesn't have that much friction, but if you are, I, I have no idea how fast the plane actually goes in, in, in miles per hour, but it is fast. So I wonder if, if, if a bag would be behind the plane for an eight hour flight in a high hemisphere. <laughs> if, I don't know, is there, is there any, well, first from of all, a physics standpoint, the, uh, the strength of that handle or whatever you connected it with, but. That's true. Assuming that, assuming it would, you know, not release itself from that. Um, yeah. No, it's probably not that interesting unless you dropped it from the airplane. Um, yeah. Because, like you said, the, there's really no coefficient of friction. The wind it would just kind of flap it around. It would be, it would more yeah. the, the turbulence behind the airplane would throw it around a little bit. I think you'd be more concerned about what's inside it versus the actual bag. 
surviving. But mm. you're, you know, this is we're talking like three, three hundred, four hundred miles an hour, um, on average. Uh, in in the yeah, it would be it would be something to do. Um, <laughs> the ability to get it behind the airplane would be a little bit of a challenge. Well, as well because you know if you just took off with it, it would be dragging on the runway before you took off yeah. anyway. But. <laughs> I, I can see the headline now. JB has been arrested for attaching a Gorak on his domestic yeah. flight. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I think I'll stay away from that test. I'll stick with my truck. It's, uh, it's more um, accessible for the common backpack tester. Do you have, um, a, what's it called, a para-jumping license? Or what? what's it called? To, if you parachute, jump out of the plane, or, um, parachute license? Yeah, no, I don't have do you ever any, done that? Um, Skydiving. I don't know. Do skydiving, skydiving. That's the word. It's it's yeah. for pilots. Uh, the joke typically is that I don't see the reason to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Um, <laughs> that's true. Just meaning that the people that do that aren't <laughs> actually pilots. You know. So when it, you know in the military, you have we have parachutes to get out of the airplane, but it's only in an emergency. Uh, and mm. I don't feel the need to test that out on a daily basis. I'll just land that's it myself. True. Because I was just thinking, if you had a skydiver license, obviously you you can't just throw out a bag out of a plane. Uh, obviously, you can't find it afterwards, and you don't want to hurt anyone. But I imagine if you jump out of a plane, doing a skydiving jump, and then you are, I don't know, 100 meters above the ground, and you clearly see no one is there, and you can easily find the bag again. It would be fun to just throw down a bag from <laughs> I don't know, yeah. from 50 yards or something out of the yeah. air. That would be an amazing test. <laughs> yeah, probably a little easier to control, like go to a building or a parking garage and just throw them out the, <laughs> off That's the ledge true. kind of thing. Just to control the environment. You, like to you, think said, you wouldn't want to hurt anybody. <laughs> You, but you must think about the video, <laughs> JB. True. It must be an entertaining video. Yes, you're right. It needs to be a little more shock value. Yeah. Yeah, Could that's be. right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for answering that question. And now it's, uh, now it's your turn then. Okay. Uh, you know, my next one is more about backpacks. And as you look at backpacks, what is the first... Mm -hmm sort of design element that you consider? Is it like the top handle, the pockets, uh, the shoulder harness system, the material they chose? Like what's the very first thing you look at when you just see a picture or someone hands you a backpack? Interesting. That's such a, a subconscious thing. I try to remember what was, what's the first thing <laughs> that comes to mind yeah, probably the visual appeal as shallow as that might sound it is definitely something that many people don't want to admit but it is what it is i think the appearance of any item is important although i am a very of the mindset that form follows function nevertheless i have to admit that the design and the look of a bag is 
is important. Um, there's no denying that. So with that, I think the first thing that comes to my mind when I see a bag is probably the, the fabrics. Um, what kind of material it uses because it is the it takes up the the main part of the whole bag and then afterwards i would say the shoulder straps um because it is shoulder straps to me are so important because i feel there is a very thin line of a balance point for shoulder straps either they are too big and bulky but they are very comfortable but then they are so padded that it seems to me they get into your way because they are so big and bulky. And then suddenly you have some load lifters on there, which I personally never use. Um, I don't know. I, I've never found... Or that's not true. I For me, load lifters are somewhat in the, in the vein of set and forget. So I, mm-hmm. I set them and then they are perfect to me. But then, as mentioned before with the helmet, then we have the strap ends of the load lifters dangling in the wind against your helmet. That really annoys me. Um, On the flip side, when you have shoulder straps that are not padded at all and that are too thin, then they look amazing and they don't get in your way, but they don't feel that comfortable when you wear them for i don't know for half an hour and have off your macbook maybe some documents charger and stuff like that everything that you need for work then it gets a little bit exhausting um and i think that's something that many people kind of underestimate it doesn't matter how strong you are and how built you are at some point if you have let's say um, 500 grams more. So 500 grams is a pound, um, a pound more on the back. If you carry that for half an hour and the shoulder straps aren't comfortable, you will feel that pound. Um, right. Although it doesn't sound that much. So for me, the shoulder straps are really important. Um, so first would be the fabric that I look at. Then what the shoulder straps look like top handle would definitely be the other what top handle be on my top three (laughs) no quick access quick access compartment that is something that i really value a lot um if there is a really good quick access that was the right answer the top pocket you got that I can mark that down you got that right cool we're keeping score right (laughs) what did I win did I finally win a car a trip to Madagascar (laughs) yeah exactly that's what it uh, a high five a virtual high five from JB that's what you won oh that's awesome (laughs) it's highly coveted so yeah the, the quick access compartment I agree with you that is so underestimated um i think we in the back reviewer and the back community uh value uh, quick access compartments a lot that being said most mainstream people don't really use them 
at least to me, it seems that way. Or they'd use them, but they don't utilize them at, as much as I would like. Personally, I have seen I have seen that so many times on AirPods. For me personally, the quick access compartment is the the best case for the AirPod because every time I go to the TSA check, I see everyone like throwing their boarding passes, their wallet, their phone into these plastic bins, and I'm like, I could just I. I don't mind a new iPhone. Okay, I can take it. <laughs> you know, and I I don't understand why people are so careless. I I think it's a good thing to to be think of the world as a safe place, but I I am um th what's it calling? Think of the best, prepare for the worst or something like that. Yeah. Um That's my mindset. I, I don't think anyone will steal my wallet or anything, especially at the TSA check where everyone's already a little bit nervous. Um, but I don't want, I don't want to risk it. I don't want anyone to steal my wallet or my passport or my phone. So I, I do use that quick access compartment for that, but I see a lot of people who don't and I don't understand why not. Yeah. I don't, uh, yeah. I, I feel the same way as I obviously go through a lot of airports and I just look at all that and I just kind of, you know, especially now, uh, you know, post pandemic, we're now a little more aware of those type things and just putting your things that you handle constantly in a public plastic bin, even that is probably cleaned mm -hmm. on a regular basis. It's not as dirty as might think, but the same thing, like you don't know where that the previous person put their phone. True. Um, True. And then now you're putting your same thing. So just handling all those things for me is just, and I'm not a germaphobe. Uh, I'm just like, you know, I'd rather put it inside my bag where it is more secure, not mm. going to fall out uh, or have somebody pick it up. But it's really just, the, you know, some amount of cleanliness that I like to, mm. you know, go through. Especially with a phone that you at some point put to your face. Uh, if you actually, I mean, I feel kind of old in a way, but I don't think that anyone below 30 is actually using their phones to call. <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. yeah. but still, you could put that germ-infested thing to your face at some point. Right. <laughs> And I won't do that. Yep, absolutely. But yeah, quick access compartments, so <laughs> important and very useful. But that's, I think that's those two, those three things are the first, the top three of points that I would take a look at before actually going through the depth of the bag. I don't need yeah. admin pouches or admin panels um, because I am in the camp of using um, pouches and stuff like that. Right. So that doesn't interest me and. It's it's funny because I was just thinking about stuff that I would look at and then I noticed if I see an admin panel, I never take a real look at it at the first time. I see it like, okay, there's an admin panel. My pen is not going to fit into that pen slot. I just know. It. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I kind of gloss over that stuff and I go into it once I do the proper review, but 
in the first 10 minutes, I'm just like, okay, there's an admin panel. There are a few slots that I will never use, but okay. And then I take a look at everything else, basically. Yeah. And I think one of the important things you mentioned, the very front end of it is, you know, before you even got to the point where you're looking at the shoulder straps or the admin pockets and stuff is, was the overall aesthetic of the backpack. Uh, and it's, you know, mm. the shape appeal to you. Does the way it looks, yep. the, does it have a lot of tactical webbing everywhere? I mean, there's just a lot of, you know, things that when I look at them, I go, I just don't even want to look at that because I just wouldn't, it just doesn't appeal to me. I wouldn't wear it on my back, just the, its general shape. Mm. And so that's, I think the first thing most people, you know, probably before you even ordered it, I mean, you just saw a picture of it and you're like, yeah, that, that works for me. I like that. And then you dive into the features. So I think that overall look is probably the one thing we, we sometimes don't even acknowledge to ourselves. Mm. Yeah. Especially considering when you wear a bag, it's, it's the biggest item that is on your body. So to some degree, I think it is important to take a look at the visual appeal, the design of the bag, the choices of materials that it, yeah, again, it kind of sounds shallow, but in the end we are visual people, individuals that as much as we don't want to admit that looks are important to us, I think it is to some degree. And having this huge 20 literish to 40 literish box on your body, obviously we want it to look good. Um, right. Which then again, honestly, I do not understand why so many, I have to say it again, mainstream and Again, I mean this in a not in a negative or a positive way, just in a neutral way, why so many people do not want to invest into a proper bag. It's always I hear this question so much lately, and I don't, I don't really understand it. I have had a few comments on what, some of my videos that are saying why is this bag so expensive, and I don't understand this 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 argument because you buy a $2,000 MacBook Pro, have an iPhone, have this and that, so many important items, then you wear sneakers that are at least $100 and you exchange them after a season, um, then you buy an expensive jacket and stuff like that, you look so fly and you look so cool, <laughs> and then you buy a cheap backpack where the strap might tear sent your MacBook Pro that you invested so much money in on the ground. It looks terrible. And now you're telling me that that $200 <laughs> backpack that you probably will use at least two or three or four years, right. every single day, every single weekday, why you try to, or why you don't want to invest that money. I, I, I personally don't get it. Yeah, I don't understand I, it. <laughs> I, I, I hear that occasionally too. And, and, you know, because most of my reviews center around GoRuck, they say, well, why is, why am I going to spend $300 on a, on a backpack? And I, you know, I've got a perfectly good one in my closet. And to that, I say, then use the one out of your closet. It's fine for me. It doesn't, it's a personal choice. Um, I think with a lot of these companies, you do get what you paid for. They use quality materials. Mm -hmm. They have a, a process that ensures minimal defects 
And the the big ones, uh, the best ones, in my opinion, they stand by it and they will fix whatever manufacturing mm. defect or in GORUCK's case, whatever you do to it, they'll fix it. Um, and I think that that's, you know, when you, at least in GORUCK's camp, like, you know, you buy it and, you know, if anything happens to it, you send it back and they fix it. And really mm. the only cost to you in the States, about $10 to ship it to them. Yeah. Uh, and they ship it back to you with a, an either repaired or a brand new one. Um, and so I think that's, you know, you get what you pay for in terms of the build quality and a lot of yeah. these bags we're talking about. And at the same time, you know, the reputable ones will stand behind their bag after that gets to you. Hmm. And I totally get that Gorok, Gorok is, if you're not in USA, it is a very expensive example of a bag just because of the extremely high shipping costs and the custom fees that you potentially have to pay but you don't have to buy a gorok i just don't understand sometimes that there is not the willingness to invest in the bag and when i say invest in the bag you don't have to pay like 200 or 300 dollars or even more but there are so many people who say that why should i pay 100 euros or 150 euros for a backpack. And just to put that into perspective, I, I, I get that, yeah, you can go to H&M and buy a backpack for 30 euros or something, but that won't hold up. And why are you spending 100 euros for your Nike Air Max that <laughs> definitely will only hold up yeah. a year, if, if ever, because you will wear that every single day or whatever. And I just don't understand that, yeah, but 150 is so expensive. Yeah, but if you divide it by all of the days, all of the years that you will use it, then yeah. it's not that much. No. Nope. That's just my philosophy about it. But yeah, I, I just think about it because so many people have, or not so many, it was at least, it was three or four people that have commented lately on, on my channel or on some of my videos. And I try always try to explain it, that it's, you're, it's an investment. It's not, yeah. you're not just burning money away for something that you don't need. Yeah. Um, and I get yeah. that. I get that argument um, most often on like the, the go ruck ruckers. Um, I've got yeah. a, one of my biggest videos is, you know, rucking one one where it just tells you how to get started rucking. Um, and I say in that video, and I'll tell anybody, you don't need to buy an expensive bag from GORUCK. Take the old backpack out of your closet, get out, and get started. And a lot of people will say, well, this is just a GORUCK commercial. Uh, I said, no, I don't want you to buy a GORUCK bag until you think mm. you're going to keep doing this activity seriously, where you think maybe putting the books and water bottles in your bag for weight is no longer for you. You want to upgrade to you know, a steel plate or something like that. Well, then definitely think about the best in the business and it's go rock if you're going to do that activity um, otherwise no it's not about the bag you need to figure out what works for you whether it's travel mm -hmm. or rucking or you know and decide that you know i do need something more comfortable so i'm going to get something with straps or the admin section or whatever speaks to you uh, spend the money and get a good one once you decide that that's yeah. really for you yeah. yeah yeah that's a very good point all right so my 
Uh, next question to you is, I actually had a question in mind about everyday carry, but I want to switch that um, because you are very knowledgeable about air travel. And I would love to know from uh, if someone of you didn't notice it in the beginning, JB is a pilot, so he knows a lot about being on an airplane and in the air. So I would love to know your let's say travel hacks when flying. For, for instance, one of my go-to tricks is to carry an empty bottle, fill it up and drink as much water as possible. But I imagine you have a lot more hacks for yourself to, I don't know, to make flying more comfortable, more healthy, more entertaining. What are your go-to travel hacks trips uh, t uh, tips and tricks that's a great question probably worth a whole another channel not just a video <laughs> about travel hacks you should. there's lots of great channels you are knowledgeable that, that exact thing but from me and again i do travel all the time um the number one tip i would say is and this is against all the single bag travel people in the world is two bags um yes. I think that's the number one travel hack because you normally of all the things you need to take with you, whether it's a weekend or a week or mm -hmm. two weeks or longer, you have a bunch of stuff that you don't need while you're going. Uh, you just mm -hmm. need it where you're, when you get there. And so, um, I also haven't checked a bag in probably 15 to 20 years. Uh, so when I travel, everything is with me in the, um, well, the cockpit, if I'm going to work or if I'm traveling, otherwise it's with me, um, on the overhead and in the, uh, behind, under the seat in front of me. So two bag travel for me is it usually, um, some sort of kit bag duffel is the, the big open capacity bag that has the jeans and shoes and all the stuff that I don't care about. And then I have another smaller bag that is, you know, has all the expensive stuff if you want to go that route. But the reason I go two bag is because you put the stuff that you don't care about in the overhead. And then in front of you is all the stuff that you're going to use in route, the, mm. uh, whether oh, it's just a phone or an iPad, a headphones, yeah, yeah, yeah. that kind of stuff. So, oh, I see. So you have a carry on friendly main bag, let's call it that way. And then a second, what's it called? Is it the personal item bag? Personal or item. It's kind of, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, it doesn't have, it's not allowed to be bigger than, I would say, a laptop comp, uh, bag or, well, or do you actually carry a backpack and a duffel bag or? Yeah, I mean, I'll carry. Um, is that allowed? And it, oh, okay. And a lot of times that, you know, that personal item bag is only restricted by the, the size of what can fit underneath the seat in front of you. Oh. So you can take a 26 liter GR2, which is, you know, shorter and deeper fit it underneath there take a ton of stuff and then in the overhead oh. uh you know a kit bag from go ruck is like my obvious example of things i just dump in there stuff in and that just you know i'm not going to access any of that until i get to my destination and so it's in route where i want a thing get everything and put it in there and you know honestly you can put anything that's small and will fit underneath that seat is usually my go-to and, and a 20 ish 20 to 21 liter bag is is normally what that um backpack sizes for me travel wise wow i didn't know that that opens up such a <laughs> new world to me because i was always under the impression 
that you are only allowed to have one big bag with you. So I was always kind of confused when I see uh, women with like a rolling carry-on case and their purse. No, and a big purse, like these big, I don't know, mm -hmm. that kind of look like a duffel bag by itself. Right. I, I was wondering, why is everyone stopping me with my camera bag <laughs> while these, this person has two big bags? And I don't, I didn't know that you were actually allowed to have one big bag, still carry on friendly size, and then a smaller bag. That is so cool. Well, and I'll also say that this might be a little bit of, uh, you know, domestic American travel versus European mm. and Germany travel. Their restrictions probably vary by airline. I know a lot of uh, companies here in the States, like a Spirit Frontier Airlines, for example, they, you know, they will charge you based off of carry-on sizes. And, um, oh, and so okay. but for the, mo the major carriers here in the United States, uh, you know, two bags is the, is the, is the normal. And, you know, a lot of times you have, yeah, that main bag is a rolling bag with, uh, you know, a lot of capacity to it. I just hate rolling bags, anything with wheels. Mm. I just don't want it. I like to be more agile in the airport. So I guess that's another tip for me is I just don't want to have to pull anything. So when I mm -hmm. do work and travel, my normal travel mode is a rolling, big, massive steel case tank of a backpack or rolling bag and then a backpack that's my normal go to work setup mm -hmm. when i'm traveling not for work i never have wheels uh i just have a bigger backpack if i'm in a single bag travel or if i'm gonna want to travel work normally it's you know a 20-ish liter backpack and a kit bag is my normal mm -hmm. uh, some sort of duffel to carry them you know the main big stuff and how do you stay comfortable and healthy I, i feel like that being on a long um long uh what's it called long area flight no long long distance if you are on a long distance flight it to me it seems the probability of getting somewhat sick not necessarily like a virus or something but for me it's this this air condition and this very dry air and stuff like that For me personally, there's always like a probability that I get some form of uh, fl not flu. What it's if you yeah ju just a light cold or something like that. How do you keep yourself healthy on all of these flights and more importantly, like comfortable? Because obviously, when you are a lot, I wear contact lenses. I I can't fly with my contact lenses in because my eyes always get so dry in an airplane and i imagine you being on the airplane you probably have some some ways to keep yourself hydrated and therefore healthy and stuff like that do you what do you do when you are a lot on the plane on long distance flights especially in the cockpit so uh yeah so hydration obviously is the number one thing and honestly if you were to say you're going to jump on an airplane for you know eight hours going across coming to the united states or going to europe whichever mm -hmm. direction You know, you're going to be in an airplane eight to 10 hours. Uh, it's just like running a marathon. You know, you can't just wake up that morning and drink a ton of water and, and feel fine. It's not a, you have to preload all that hydration. So a lot of people will say it actually starts four to five days uh, of drinking water that, you know, you get that water oh, system, okay. all your cells absorb the water and you're completely hydrated. 
and then honestly, you continue that while you're flying or doing whatever activity mm-hmm. it is. And, um, because you're off, you know, you're just going to get, you can't catch up to that hydration curve. If you just, you know, get on the airplane and start, just start drinking water. You have to start mm-hmm. that process several days in advance. So I do, I, I drink probably, I mean, this is a, just a big Nalgene bottle I have with me everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm, cause I'm constantly drinking water. I don't monitor it, but it's just kind of a habit that I get into. Cause I know yeah. when I fly that hydration is going to be really critical. And I, and I've, I haven't done that. I definitely feel it. I'll get a dehydration headache if I'm in the air sometime because the way the air mm. circulates in an airplane, it's completely drying you out all the time. Yeah, um, exactly. I've, in fact, I've had like a, not a, not a full blown cold flying. That's not advised, but like I've had a, a little bit of a runny nose. I get in the air and whew, it just, exactly. you can feel it just all leave you and as it just dries you out. So yep, you just definitely yeah. have to plan early and keep up with the hydration, um, as just something you got to pay attention to while you're, um, traveling and definitely before. How about food? Any go-to food? Uh, do you eat the, if you are flying privately, uh, do you eat the stuff on the airplane or do you prefer have snacks with you or stuff like that? Um, I, I mean, I eat the snacks on the, they're, they're prepackaged. There's nothing to worry about on the airplane. In my opinion, um, I just did, um, last weekend I, I went to London and back. I mean, I ate the food on the airplane. It was fine. Mm-hmm. I have no problem eating the food on the airplane. Um, that I, you know, I feel is, uh, something that I wouldn't, that if I would normally eat it on the ground, I would eat it in the air. I just don't care, but yeah. I do normally have just some sort of uh, snack bar, uh, in my backpack all the time, just yeah. because you never know when you're going to get the next meal, right? Especially on an airplane, yeah. because if you didn't eat prior to going on a long airplane and you take off and then all of a sudden there's turbulence for the next two hours, guess what? The flight attendants aren't getting up to give you a snack. They're not bringing you water exactly. because it's not safe to do so. So you have to think about that uh, as a as a situation, be prepared with a, a water bottle attached to your bag in a side bottle pocket in, in, in you yeah. know, some, just a couple bars. Uh, and I usually have it for me and whoever's with me because I assume nobody has a bar and I just yeah. don't want people to get hangry. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love, I love this maybe a little bit much, but I do like airplane food most of the time and I eat it, but I always notice it's not enough. I, I'm not, <laughs> that much of a i don't eat that much usually when i order something in the restaurant there's i i can't manage to eat everything but on an airplane i don't know if it's the air or something i always get a little bit more hungry and whenever i finish the food i'm like okay that wasn't enough (laughs) (laughs) so so i just like you i started to have i don't know like these power bars and stuff like that um, I'm not a lifter. I don't lift, but when I'm flying, I usually carry, I go to the supermarket and buy these weight lifter bars. Yeah. I think they're called power yep. bars or something. Protein. All protein the protein. Bars. Yeah. Protein bars. Yeah. I buy a bunch of those and I carry them. Um, not sure if that's healthy and no clue, but they do, they do help in terms of being, uh, hungry and getting that hunger away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the other thing too, is you're on a flight, you're not doing anything physical, right? You might mm. get up and walk around a little bit. And honestly, that's another pro tip is on those long flights is just to get up and walk to the front, walk to the back, just get some blood flowing. Um, 
because, and then again, that's why I don't typically eat a lot of food on an airplane just because I'm not doing anything to burn those calories. And mm. sometimes I've gotten to de my destination and just not felt very well because I sat on an airplane and ate a lot of food. And I just didn't, didn't feel all that great. So, um, eating something is important. Staying hydrated is important. Um, my other pro tip, this is sort of like long haul pilot stuff. Um, and then when I first thought about doing this, I didn't want to do it because it sounds like an old man, uh, aging kind of thing, but compression socks. So, yeah. So I, I just bought a, Definitely. A, a whole bunch of black compression socks I can wear with my yeah. uniform and I pull those suckers all the way up to my knees, man. It just, yeah. it prevents, um, blood from pooling, um, That's down really in your good. shoes. I mean, I'm sure you've been on a long flight and had to loosen up your shoes or something. Cause you can yeah. feel your feet maybe swell a little bit. But yeah, old man compression socks. Just go uh, yeah. to Amazon and order a pack of eight or ten, and totally, do totally. That. I was actually thinking about that. Uh, I mean, my last flight is such a long time ago. It was um, 2019 or 2020, just before the pandemic. Flew to Indonesia, and I actually noticed ah oh, my my feet are kind of hurting. So I was walking around. I'm I'm also in the camp of sitting uh, at the aisle. I don't like sitting at the window because I don't want to ask someone to right. just stand up. Right. Uh, so I always sit at the aisle. Um, and I noticed that. And I was actually thinking back then, oh, compression socks would have been really nice in this situation. So yeah. pff, I don't care if that sounds old. <laughs> That's If it's comfortable, why not? Yeah, it, take, it takes a little bit of getting used to wearing them because... Um, you know, they're compressing your, your calves. And so it's, yeah. um, takes a little bit, but after you do that, after you fight through that, it's good. And, yeah. and, you know, you can get, um, pretty, you don't have to spend a lot of money. I think I bought an eight pack for not very much money. Yeah. Um, and they've lasted a, a long time. So, yeah. And I mean, if they're black, no one would notice that they're compression socks. And I'm, I'm here to so say, you nobody only cares one. about your socks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. So thank you for answering my last question. What's your last question? Well, I asked, you know, on originally when I wrote all my questions, they were all YouTube yeah. focused um, as, you know, yeah, JT called you the godfather. So I figured if I had a chance to talk to the, uh, yeah, of course. Go ahead. the Karyology uh, backpack originator, uh, <laughs> you know, I figured I would ask at least one question about that. So when of you course. talk to people that have channels um, mm -hmm. that are young um, and mine is younger compared to um, most of the people you've talked to already. Like, what is the one thing that you would folk would advise someone focus on to overall improve the video? I know you're an editor, so maybe the mm -hmm. editing would be where you would say to focus, or is it uh, a little bit better camera, a better sound, you know, lighting, uh, the format, whether you I mm -hmm. walk and talk or sit for a while or more B-roll. There's lots of little elements to creating a YouTube video. Um, and mm. where do you think the, the critical element um, is nowadays? Good question. Um, first and foremost, I have to say that your video style is already in a very good place. I think your editing and the, how you are presenting the videos and how you talk to your camera is already in a very good place. So, um, yeah, I do applaud you for, for the style that you have at the moment. And um, I think if there is anything that 
I can see from a lot of beginner, yeah, in quotation marks, beginner um, creators is to improve on the editing and on the way um, videos are presented or you present yourself in front of the camera. I cringe a lot when I see my old videos <laughs> because I just wasn't used to talking in front of the camera. It was, it's, my first videos are very stiff. Um, and that's what I really like about your videos. I feel that you are quite comfortable in front of the camera. You you seem very loose and there is not a lot of mm's, uh's, or pauses. Or And if there are any, I feel that you already cut them out. So it is a very fluent um, way to present the video. But in many beginner videos, you can actually see and that's quite natural. Right. It's quite natural that you are not, you're not used to talking to a camera. Um, and I would recommend any beginner to, yeah, to, to some degree, try to get that pressure off yourself and try to be a little bit goofy in front of the camera. You don't have to cut it in, but just to make yourself a little bit more loose, um, in how you present what you want to say. Furthermore, and that that kind of goes hand in hand. Many people in the beginning don't get to the point quickly enough, especially on YouTube, where you have a very low barrier to click away and the attention span isn't that high. It is very important to yeah get to the point easy uh, qu more quickly or be entertaining so people don't mind that you don't get to <laughs> to a point that fast. Right. If you can crack a joke and stuff like that, then it doesn't matter if if argument A and point B are far away from each other. But in many yeah, uh, beginner videos, and I see that a lot in, in uh, filmmaker videos where they're talking about cameras and or about their career in the filmmaking industry it's you notice right away oh, okay that person is usually behind the camera not in front of the camera so it is very slow pace right. and stuff like that with which there's nothing wrong with that obviously but for youtube i feel like that that is something that should be improved and that goes hand in hand with the editing if you can edit down yourself better and um, kind of bridge the gap between those edits with b-roll which obviously is a part of editing and um, can be improved um, yeah I would say that would be my first two things that I would um, recommend to a beginner creator um, and one exercise that I always recommend to new editors in, in the advertising world, I always tell them, okay, when you edit something, try to give yourself limitations. For instance, if you make a video, don't just say, I'm going to make a video. Say, I'm going to make a video that is only 60 seconds long, because then 
you constrain yourself to these 60 seconds and you need to think really hard about what you want to communicate in that video. And yeah, we always say in the, in the film editing world, kill your darlings. <laughs> you just, there is so many times where you, you personally know, oh, I invested so much time in that shot. <laughs> This drone shot looks amazing, but it doesn't tell anything in the story. And then you see like that, oh, I have only 60 seconds. Do I need that drone shot? But I love it, mm. but it doesn't fit in there. Yeah. Okay, I cut it out. And that helps a lot. Um, what I did in the beginning also is to memorize, and that's probably the reason why my first videos <laughs> were all very stiff. I tried to, not I tried, I did. I memorized all of, the all of my script and then I um, presented that into the video. While on one hand, it helped to keep those videos short. Yeah. <laughs> on the other hand, everything was so stiff. And yeah, try to find the balance between, I don't know, some people like to have just this script with some keywords on mm -hmm. what points they want to hit right. and then they do that on the fly. I'm not that good at that because I start to ramble a lot. <laughs> well, I found that uh, yeah. some of the me best moments in some of my videos, at least what that I find, are times where it wasn't on the script. It's just something I said related to a bag yeah. that I thought of and I... Um, you know, I try to zoom in a little bit when I say those things, some people yeah. like they kind of remember it. And it's, uh, again, I didn't write that in the script. So I, I'm more of a, uh, loose outline kind of person. Yeah. I know the highlights of the format that I want to hit. Um, and I'll, honestly, I've, I've redone videos three and four times because I watched the, the rough cut of it, um, I'm like, man, that's, I wouldn't want to, I don't want to watch it to edit it. So no one wants to watch it when it's finished. <laughs> so I've totally scrapped videos several times. Um, just oh, wow. Flow. Okay. But I think you could still salvage a lot in the editing and m maybe to also re-record just some parts to kind of stitch together two parts that were a little bit, yeah, disconnected from each other. The the problem with times where I'm not reading from the script, uh, and it's been times where, and I haven't found the exact right time of day yet, but sometimes I'll mm. wake up in the morning and I'll do it and I'm, I'm lucid, clear, boom, and the video flows. It's great. It's fantastic. And sometimes I wake up in the morning and I do a video and I look at it later. I'm like, I can't use any of that stuff. Uh, so normally <laughs> when I sit down to edit, I go... I've got, and it's not a number, but it's a number of, if I have to like cut and splice things together more than three or four times, I'm like, all right, this is terrible. I, it's just, I'm putting too much time into it because I don't like, mm. the editing should not be, I, I think you, you said something about, um, I can't remember who you were talking to, where you talked about the balance of time from the shooting to the editing, where you said a very, very mm. low number of your editing. And for me, it's almost the opposite. I can shoot the video really quickly um, in a different formats. Um, and then my editing usually takes hours, um, just mm -hmm. to get it there. But again, I don't have a background. I'm an airline pilot. I don't, I don't do this yeah, every day. Of I'm, course. I'm experimenting with different, um, editing softwares and techniques to, to make it yeah. a little bit better. Um, where you probably crank it out in 30 minutes. Yeah. It's fantastic. But I, I feel like that that's something you will get 
looser with over time. Um, especially, and I said that to Danny, uh, I think, yeah, it was Danny, that there is a beauty of having a smaller channel. You are, in a way, in air quotes, uh, allowed to make mistakes. <laughs> so you can basically do whatever you want in in this part of being the same goes with me i think i'd need to remind myself uh about that as well as long as we are sub 100k i think we can do more or less anything that we want um because the the impact isn't that heavy in a way and so experimenting a little bit with with your editing and having it to some degree a little bit rough and giving it a somewhat comedic spin to it, I think you could salvage some of those situations where you have the feeling that that video is a little bit rough. Then, I don't know, for instance, you feel that everything that you recorded is disconnected and it doesn't flow then cut off those points really rough and then have an introduction and be like, okay, I realized that this video isn't flowing that much <laughs> or when I recorded it, it didn't flow. So I made a list video. Right. Here we go. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's no, there's no doubt that I can do that. But the problem that I, um, you know, as a small channel, I'm trying to not be a small channel. I'm trying to, you know, mm. produce a video that, you know, is nowhere near the the cinematic quality of a Peter McKinnon sort of a video, but at the same time, uh, but you would get there. It gets people to want to subscribe and tune into what you mm. got and give me suggestions on what they want to see next. So, because uh, I think that's mm. the only way you grow the channel. But, um, you know, just again, I wanted a little insight for somebody with a, you know. I think I have the lowest subscriber count of all the video, the people you've interviewed thus far. So I feel pretty uh, like I own that, that title on your list so far. Um, <laughs> especially when I look at who you're going to talk to next, the next couple episodes, I'm like, man, I hope he, I hope he actually publishes my video. <laughs> I do. I will do because I mean this, I mean this very honestly. I think your videos are in a very good place because the editing Obviously, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it because there's always, even with my videos, with any videos, there's always something that you can improve. However, with just looking at the videos that you have published lately, I think there is already so many good points there. The editing is good, the way you present it, and I've heard so many good things about your reviews, and I think that you already in a good place building upon the trust that people already put into you and that's the great thing about youtube youtube is personality driven it's about trust it's about especially when it comes to reviews it's about integrity and with that in mind once people notice your style your personality realize that they can trust you, that you have integrity. Everything else is just the sugar coat on, or the icing on the cake. Um, good cinematography, uh, good editing, and stuff like that. Story is always king. 
And in case in the case of reviewers, I think story is the same as personality. So as long as your personality and your character and um, what you bring across is something that people like, then everything else is just the icing on the cake. Yeah, no, I, everything I, that's inside is important. <laughs> well, I mean, I appreciate the the insight there. I mean, I do think you just brought up a pretty good point about you know your your objectivity. I think is important. That's something that I try to bring up, and then the you know the element of story is something I'm gonna. I'm thinking about dabbling in just to bring it, make it more of a, of a watchable thing where it's not just me at a table. It's more about the, the backpack in action. So I'm, I'm thinking mm -hmm. of ideas to creatively do that and then try to bring it all together. But, um, you know, the objectivity is, I think that if of all the things that people might value is, um, is that, and I do get hit on that sometimes in some comments, they're like, well, you're just doing a commercial for X, Y, or Z. And, um, you know, I'm, I've, I've told you why I didn't like a backpack before, and I'm going to continue to do that. And in some cases I have, I've had actually the, the bags designers reach out to me and say, well, you were a little unfair with that. And I'm like, what? That's just how I felt. I didn't want to use it that way, or yeah. it was in the wrong place. Um, and so I think as long as I keep doing that and I don't care about a sponsorship, um, somebody sending me a bag or, or not, I, I really don't mm -hmm. care. Most of the bags I've had over the last couple of years are ones I bought because they were ones that I wanted to use. And um, yeah. I just try to be honest with what the features look like. I think what I, I've heard that as well. Um, I had one brand actually asking me if I could pull a, a video because they felt that I was also, like you said, unfair to their product. Um, which I personally didn't understand because I mentioned some negatives, but I put a high recommendation in the verdict. And I told them that in the beginning, that brand was actually one of the reasons why I created my ethics statement uh, and some form of terms and conditions. Whenever a brand approaches me and tells me, hey, do you want to review and back? And I always tell them I will say negative things about it because is important for a viewer, for potential customer to know those negatives, to then evaluate if they can potentially work around these uh, negative things or they don't apply to them. Um, and I am a firm believer that that is important because if viewers know that you will say negative things in your reviews, Whenever you say a positive things or you don't say any negatives, then that review has so much more weight for the brand, for the customer, because they know, okay, that positivity or that positive um, point that the reviewer mentioned has so much more weight to it because they believe you. They know if there would be something negative, that person, that reviewer, would say it and there is so much more trust and so much more belief in that review if opposed to a reviewer and i see that so many times in in phone reviews and i mentioned that so many times because i am so enthusiastic about tech and whenever i see a phone review and i'm like why the hell did i watch a 15 minute phone review where you didn't say anything about 
the negative stuff and you just repeated all of the features that I can read from the website. And I know that the f pictures are great. I don't need you to repeat that. And I'm, and I'm so annoyed by that. And that's actually why I love watching Linus Tech Tips, who is this uh, PC tech channel. And he or that channel is all based around, we will say negative things because we know that Yeah, just what I said before, people will know that whenever we say something positive, then that has more value to to the viewers because they know we will also say negative stuff and we don't sugarcoat negative things. Yeah. And yeah, I think brands should understand that that if we say something negative doesn't mean that we dislike the doesn't necessarily mean that we dislike the product or um that potentially the positive things that we also mentioned in that video don't hold uh they do hold more ground and yeah. are much more valuable yeah i agree totally yeah. you got to tell it like you see it people get to know your style yeah uh of what you'll like or not like you know they, they'd probably you know you could joke i mean oh it's got top pocket jb and i might like this um, but at the same time, like I've had things shipped to me or I've bought and had the intention of, uh, well, let's just use somebody sent me something I wanted to, cause I liked it and I was going to review it and I got it and I, it was terrible. Um, and so I basically, I've got a little barometer. If it's, if I've got more positive than negative, and then I'll put the video out because I think, like you said, you've got to, if, if it, if I recommend it, then I would put it out there, but if it's, if you're going to send me something and mm. it's going to, I'm going to bash your product and I, I, I don't publish that video because, um, yeah. it's just not worth it exactly. for me. And I honestly, and, but I send them in, an email back typically and tell them why they're like, cause I'll, they'll say, Hey, when's the video coming out for what, for this? And I said, well, I did a test of it and I just don't think it fits my aesthetic or, um, the features are in the wrong place or you should reconsider this. And, and they said, thank you. And, I said, I'll ship it back to you if you want me to. I don't uh, mind, but sure. I just don't think that, um, you know, I want to be overly, po I, I'm not saying I need to be overly positive about something, but I think you want to watch a video where a guy at least likes what he's showing you and not just bashing this terrible product. I mean, nobody wants exactly. to that. And uh, I just wanted to add something that you just said about, um, some of your viewers potentially saying, oh, that doesn't have a top pocket or a top quick access pocket. I think we reviewers, and um, I don't know if you know him, MKBHD, who is also yep. a tech reviewer. Yep. Um, he has this saying, and it's I always kind of compare that to uh, movie reviewers. You you kind of need to uh, calibrate yourself to to reviewer. For instance, if you have a movie reviewer who doesn't like Marvel, then obviously you just know that whenever that person reviews a Marvel movie, that's going to be terrible. But then you already kind of calibrated to that right. specific reviewer. And the same is with with any other reviewers. You need to kind of watch that person for a while Um to calibrate yourself to the taste or to with our uh specific example you you know that okay that reviewer has that specific height usually that reviewer likes these types of bags so 
does that align with my taste or with my body shape, body height? And then you know, okay, that's that fits my personal style. I can watch that reviewer. And now I know if that reviewer likes that bag or likes that item or dislikes this bag or dislikes that item, I know that's probably not for me as well. Right. And yeah, the top pocket example is really good. And, and in the beginning, I thought that was kind of a negative when people are kind of assuming, oh, he Bo probably doesn't like that bag because X and Y. And in the beginning, I was kind of not sure if that is a good thing or a bad thing. And when I heard that, how MKBHD described it, that viewers of his channel kind of need to calibrate to his perspective on things, I was, that kind of opened my personal eyes yeah. in a way that, oh yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. And I watch a lot of movie reviews and I'm watched, I don't know what movie it was. And I, I watched that person the first time and I was like, why the hell did that person not like that movie? That was amazing. <laughs> and then I, I caught myself and I was like, oh, I'm going to calibrate it to that reviewer. And right. for us in the back world, it's sometimes kind of unfair or in the product review world because most people, it's they just search for an item, find that review, and then just watch that one specific video. And then you obviously, you are not calib calibrated to that reviewer. Right. So whenever I get a negative comment, I just assume that, okay, that person has no clue how I usually approach a right. bag. I had that with a Rush uh, 12, for instance, in that video I said that, uh, vid uh, that the Rush 12 is a little bit too military looking for my taste to go to the office. And I had a few comments that were like, Oh, why? Why is that so military? Oh, are you, are you uh, a leftist, uh, <laughs> weapon hating, somewhat person? And I'm like, no, that's that's not that that's not the issue. <laughs> It's just different. I'm not going to an office with a Rush 12. I still love the bag, so I don't I don't know what you why you're calling me names all of this <laughs> and why you make it totally political. <laughs> I know. Just, But I, I honestly, at least on my channel, and again, I'm small enough where I can answer every comment or at least, and I do read and, and respond to everything. Yeah. I have a lot of, I have a lot of fun right now with the comments where people either have a question or want one more question I didn't mm -hmm. cover. Um, and I, you know, and even the negative ones, the negative ones, I'm not gonna say I have more fun with, but I just like, I read a negative comment and I usually don't do anything with it for a while, maybe the next day. And then I usually come up with a response that I, that I try to be fair to hear their, their viewpoint and then try to yep. give my perspective. because I don't want anyone to just start bashing things and let it be left there because I think that also looks negative. Like, well, the, the yeah. reviewer didn't respond to this comment. So I yep. always put something in there. And I, there was one about a week ago the guys had a, had a, a comment and I responded and he refuted my comment and I, ref and I'm like, I can do this all day. I can respond to your comments all day. <laughs> and finally I, I was trying to convince him of my point, um, that I wasn't a commercial. I wasn't, um, uh, being paid to specifically say a bag was good. Um, and then all of a sudden mm. he deleted the original comment. It all disappeared. So <laughs> it was mm. gone. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I I see that. Uh, I can see that that is annoying. I had that uh, 
a lot in the beginning as well. I don't know why that is in the beginning more than later. Can it's kind of weird. But what I notice or what I realized is I always try to approach negative comments with somewhat of a benefit of doubt mm -hmm. that that person just doesn't realize that that comment might be, I don't know, could be perceived as a little bit aggressive or um, right. rude. And usually if you, if I try to approach that in that way and I'm like, Oh, I'm not sure if I understood your your comment correctly, but maybe elaborate on on that comment why you think this this and that, or I try to explain that. And usually, people are very understanding, as long as as long as as it's not a comment that it's all in caps lock. Um, <laughs> then usually they are very understanding. Why do people do that? I don't get it. Yeah, I don't. As if that makes their point in any way, shape, or form. In, I don't know. More understandable. Okay, let me put caps lock yeah. in, and then I had a right one. <laughs> I had a funny um, my uh, my my niece uh, who's very young sent me a message. And it was in all caps, and I and I just said to her, she's very very little. I said, "Why are you shouting at me?" She says, "What do you mean?" It was still in all caps. I go, "You're just yelling at me. Why do you have to yell at me and be so mean?" She's like, "What are you talking about?" I go, "Your caps lock is on." She's like, "Oh, I'm sorry. Is this better?" And it was off. And so I just had a funny moment with my niece describing that she was shouting in all caps. She didn't had no idea that that's what it was. She says, "I think I just liked the, the way it looked." Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> but that that comes again to to the benefit of a doubt, right? Right. That, yeah, she had no idea. Yeah, she... maybe that. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it's such a funny world in a way. Um, I don't know. It's sometimes I love the internet and I love all of this YouTube world, but sometimes I don't get what how people are talking on the internet. It's it's weird. It's really weird. And talking to other people as if you know that person like, for yeah. years uh, or as if it would be okay to go to someone in the supermarket and scream at that person, why the hell did you buy potato salad? <laughs> Don't you understand that noodle salad is better? <laughs> yeah, it's... You know, um... like, you know, but the, I don't get it. <laughs> we're in an age where you know it wasn't always that way, and so we're adapting to that environment. But what's more mm. important, I think, is that uh, you know kids as they as they grow up and the younger generations, they don't they don't ever talk to people face to face. They do everything via mm. text, and so you don't know what they really mean. And so I think that's a that's one problem with communication nowadays is is uh you don't know what they really mean and, and interpreting um yeah. tone in a text or an email is impossible a lot of times and so you get the mis you misconstrued information or whatever i think that's just the challenges of this environment we live in now which is yeah it's unfortunate right we always talk to each other in the hallway at school or at the school bus mm -hmm. or someplace and uh but now that's just not the way it's done they just send everything with a text yeah you know uh Last but not least, it's kind of funny. It's my dad never was that way, and uh, I'm not sure if my my grandparents talked in Indonesian 
language, so I'm not sure if they actually say it, but you know this cliche when your grandfather comes to you and says, in my days, everything was more difficult and this and that. And I just think, I'm not sure. I feel like kids nowadays have it much more difficult because you have to, I don't know, communication seems on one hand easier because you can just grab your phone, but there's so much leeway for misinterpretation, miscommunication, and you never really know what's right, what's wrong. Yeah. And I mean, you even you can even see it in movies. I love 80s movies, right? <laughs> I just, I love 80s movies. I have so many favorite 80s movies because, and I just noticed that uh, a couple of months ago, I like them because it's so clear cut. You know who the bad guy is. You know who the good guy is. There is an end, and yeah. the good guy has to fight the bad guy. Or the love story is quite easy. There is the nerd. There's the jock. Yeah. There's the uh, the person of interest. And in today's movies, I have, I'm a Marvel fan, and the last big Marvel um, film, Endgame and Infinity Wars, where you had this villain. You probably understood why the villain is, in air quotes, right. You understand his position, why he thinks whatever he is doing is correct. Right. And, and suddenly that movie becomes so complicated. <laughs> you have no idea who you are actually rooting for because you're conflicted, right? right. <laughs> you know, that's why I think 80s movies seem so, so easier compared to what we ha nowadays have to deal with it's um yeah that's just an example why i think maybe the kids nowadays don't have it that easy as our grandparents sometimes <laughs> want to make us believe <laughs> yeah there's it's always going to be harder for some i mean there's always it's just your perspective so um but i like yeah, I, I do like a good 80s movie for sure yeah yeah last but not least um one of my favorite 80s movies is uh, The Secret to My Success with um, Michael J. Fox, yeah. where he goes to New York to make it uh, make it in the big world. I love that movie. I don't really know why. It's just, <laughs> it's just, it just makes me feel good because it's, so it's the American dream. It shows you New York where everything is kind of, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Just one of my favorite movies, to be quite honest. Yeah, no, it's a good one for sure. Haven't seen it in a very long time. I should probably rewatch it. Yeah. Or Goonies. It's also a really <laughs> cool kids' movie, actually. Home Alone. I watched that, obviously, on Christmas. Yeah, we Perfect that Christmas as well. movie. Yep. It's classic. It's great, right? The Christmas Vacation yeah. was, uh, was one of our was a favorite around here, too. Yeah. Um, Chevy Chase, right? Yeah. It. No, not Chevy Chase. Yeah, what? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so many good good movies and I don't know. They don't they I mean, it sounds like I don't like movies nowadays. I like I love them. Uh, movies nowadays are great, but again, there is something about the simplicity of 80s. Yeah, just talking about movies, one of the things that I run into when we talk about kids and movies and they haven't seen most of those older movies is, uh, you know, as in my training role, sometimes I train pilots and I'll get a young pilot that hasn't seen the movie Airplane. Have you ever seen oh. this movie? Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> so how, 
I, in fact, I was in the simulator one time and I said a joke that was from that movie and he didn't understand. He said, what? I don't understand that. And I said, we have to go home. You have to go home right now. Like I'm, we're stopping the simulator <laughs> because I can't convey any more information to you because you don't understand. <laughs> How can you say you're an airline pilot? You've never seen it's, the movie airplane. <laughs> that's, but he came but back. Yeah, the that's a great movie. It. I haven't watched it though. That's good. <laughs> I hope you also told him to watch Hot Shots yeah. and obviously the whole season of Airwolf. Yes. That's really important. I know that's not an airplane, but still, it's good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, that's old school. I definitely was an Airwolf fan back in the day. Did you like, uh, last but not least, I always say last but not least, but I have so many questions. <laughs> did you watch the new Top Gun movie? I what did. What do you think about that? I did really love it. And, did um, you like it? I, yeah, you know, it's it had been about to come out for so long. I just thought, based off of how long it had been, I said, "There's no way this movie um, at all compares with the original in terms of the story and the filming." And you know, you can do so much more sure. now, but um, it did bring in so many elements from the original movie. Um, and then, of course, the the biggest difference is they actually, f you know, flew the airplanes. And the reactions, mm. the body reactions from most oh, of those so flight good. scenes were real versus them done in a simulator yeah. and acting. So I think it was really cool. Great storyline. Of course, there's parts where you go, yeah, that's not the way it would work. But that's the what movies are anyway. <laughs> but um, I just saw, and I have, I put it in my queue to watch. There's a video uh, on YouTube now that, um, of an interview with the guy who actually flew the plane uh, for the movie. Yeah. I haven't watched it yet. I think it just came out yesterday, but it's a. Uh, I would definitely want to watch that one. Oh, it, it's a new one. Oh, I, I've I've seen an interview uh, of one of the pilots, and it's so interesting. Yeah. And you you know what, uh, Tom Cruise say about him what you will. My my wife really hates that uh, Tom Cruise, but Tom Cruise and Keanu Reeves actually give gave me a lot of perspective on my age. I've seen the making off of the new uh, Mission Impossible where um, Tom Cruise is jumping off a cliff with a motorcycle and uh, a parachute. And that guy's, I don't know, how old is he? 60 or something? And uh, Keanu Reeves is, I don't know, 50? And it just gave me the perspective, okay, I'm over 40 now. I don't care. <laughs> If Tom Cruise and Keanu Reeves can do that at their age, I'm not old. Yeah. No. no way. I'm not old. I'm going to do that as well. <laughs> just the number. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, 50s, new 40s, you know, it keeps going. Um, yeah, right. It's just, exactly. uh, it's just amazing what they do to, in a lot of those movies. And, of course, there's stunt doubles and stuff. But yeah. a lot of times, some of those actors sure. actually do those tough maneuvers that I just are. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same yeah. way. Like, I watch uh, the James, the newer James Bond movies and just see the, some of the things yeah. that Daniel Craig will do. and. Yeah, I know he's not doing all of it, but I just like, I, and of course they get hurt. Right. And, you know, take yeah, some time to rebuild and everything. But, uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I'm not worried about age. I just is, you know, try to stay active, yeah. try to get outside, do more things, get outside and, you know, rucking around or walking or running, um, just yeah. moving your body, no matter what you're doing is gonna, you know, put off all those, all those years. So definitely it's just so funny to, I mean, I am so invested in this YouTube thing that I watch so much YouTube and watch so many creators. And I find it so funny that 
when someone is saying, oh, I'm getting old. I, I was the same. When I turned 30, I was like, oh, my life is over now. <laughs> I feel so old. <laughs> and I kind of, I kind of laugh about it now because just hearing younger creators or younger people saying, oh, I'm old. And then I'm asking them, especially now I train, train a lot of Muay Thai and boxing. And then we have some, let's in air quotes, kid complaining, oh, I'm getting old. And I'm asking, how, how old are you? 28. I feel so old. <laughs> like, what the hell? Yeah, no, You're not old. You don't even have a three in front of you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I get that for It's sure. kind of funny. Um, I, I, there's a wide range of uh, ages in a pilot uh, cockpit, so you get to hear yeah. it all. And and uh, But I, at the other end of the spectrum, I can see guys that are close to 60, 65, and I just look at them going, well, I don't want to be yeah. like you. So that motivates me to yeah. just do more now so that uh, that decline gets pushed off 20 30 years compared to what i've seen in some people yeah they just you know if yeah. you don't do anything you need to move you need to move yeah no matter what you're moving to do or yeah. how you're doing it or how fast and it's not about speed it's not about growth you know a, a lot of weight it's just doing something not sitting you know get up put your phone down stop watching youtube go outside and do something <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i mean in german there's a saying and it rhymes and I, I try to translate it and try to make it. I think it rhymes as well. When you're resting, you're rusting. Yeah. So that's, that's the saying in German. And that's what my father-in-law always says. And he played a lot of tennis until now. And since he stopped, he, I don't think he will admit it, but I can see it a little bit that, yeah, since he doesn't play tennis anymore, I, th I see, as I mentioned before, his spine, his movement is kind of getting slower or age appropriate. And yeah, that's why I think you need to move. You need to keep in shape and you don't need to go to the gym for two hours every day. But what I have done or started uh, a couple of months ago, every single morning I have this training routine that goes 15 minutes. That's totally fine. Yeah. Just keep in shape. And then I go three times a week to the gym for boxing and Muay Thai. Uh, okay. That's obviously a little bit more, but just have a little bit, I don't know, a routine of keeping your, keep your body in shape or move. Or if you have a dog, for instance, I see so many people saying, oh, I never managed to walk 8,000 steps a day. Once you have a dog, you yeah. you walk at least 10,000 steps a day. Yeah, that's uh, and that's my, a lot of times I'm out there and I, and I do my best thinking when I'm out walking those dogs. Um, it, it takes at least yeah. an hour a day um, yeah. to get those dogs sufficiently exercised and um, yeah. so that they're not bugging you all day. <laughs> <laughs> how many dogs do you have we have two we have an older dog and a younger dog right, and cool. honestly the older dog we didn't realize how old she was uh in terms of energy level until we got the new dog because um the new dog the puppy is full on all day long unless she gets activity so um they're it's a german short hair <laughs> um she's about a year and a half and that dog just oh, was cool. built to run the most athletic dog I've ever seen, but yeah, she needs to be out running. Um, and really walking her for an hour doesn't really, it takes the edge off, but she's not exercised. 
Um, mm-hmm. Dogs like that need to be so, run in the field. Yeah. Yeah, or uh, need to be um, kept op- occupied in terms of mentally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel, um, do you know those those um, I don't, sniffing sniffing carpets? It's like a, like a rug yeah. where you have all of this stuff in there, and then you can hide treats in those things, yeah. and then they need to sniff wherever the treat yep. is. And I know that from my smaller dog. She, when she did that or had had to do some mental tricks and gymnastic, she was done yeah. after that because it was five minutes of mental brain work was just like half an hour walking yeah. with her. Yeah. yeah. So like a, for our dog, so, like, you know, one hour of walking or we've got some uh, woods, a forest behind our house with a trail that I cut into mm-hmm. it. And um, if I take her back there for just 20 minutes because she her brain's engaged she's sniffing what animals have been there or here and she's running and i let her kind of run off the leash she's every kind of everywhere you know where where i'm maybe walking a quarter mile she's probably running four miles just because she's back and forth but you're right that 20 minute walk or less you know back back in the house she's kind of wiped out just because her brain was engaged so totally now see we went from dogs to youtube uh we're just everywhere that's great That was a fun talk. Thank you so much for taking the time. And I probably took away more time than you uh, anticipated. And now we have talked uh, one hour and 50 minutes. It was amazing. I really enjoyed this talk with you. And yeah, just where can people find you if they want to check out your YouTube channel uh, or social media yeah, so really uh jb outside on youtube is the primary location but you know my day-to-day stuff is uh jb outside on instagram jb dot outside uh at uh on instagram that's usually where i put my day-to-day stuff i've got a facebook page as well but most of the stuff happens on instagram and youtube so mm. definitely check me out there um and leave me a comment i want to hear what uh, people want to see next and in my little niche of the world, uh, backpacks, gear to get you outside. Awesome. So yeah, everyone, please follow JB outside on YouTube and on Instagram. And again, JB, thank you so much for joining me on this fun podcast and answering all of my questions and talking about dogs, 80s movies and stuff that has nothing to do with YouTube. It was a lot of fun. Anytime. Let's thank do you again, very though. much.